man, oh man, does it feel good to be back, to be doing what we love, watching basketball, talking about real live basketball, doing the NBA cast for four hours today. Of course, we're doing that live league pass game tomorrow, 2.30 Eastern, Brooklyn and Orlando. If you want to listen to that, buy it on League Pass. Watch it on League Pass if you are a subscriber. I really, really appreciate everyone supporting us uh, on that. But enough self-promotion here. Let's talk about some basketball between the LA Clippers and the Lakers, and we'll get to Utah and New Orleans in our second segment. It's funny because there is this... It, for me, there's this natural inclination to avoid overreacting because it's just, you, you know about the tropes that everybody gets into. But I do think that there were some real takeaways from this that not like, oh, it changes the way I feel about a, a seven game series a couple months from now if these two teams square off. And yes, sign me up for that right now. But a couple of things that I, I think where I want to start is with LeBron James' defensive intensity. I thought that especially late in the game in those big moments, he really relished taking on those assignments. And whether, you know, there was that play with Michael Green, whether or not it was always him doing everything, he had a lot of effects out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I would even expand that to the whole game. I, I thought he started yes. off with pretty good defensive intensity. I mean, they're not going to beat this team unless he can bring some level of intensity against Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And he really did that. Now, maybe that hurt his offense, although he did deliver late in the last three, four minutes, as he did in their showdown in March. But yeah, I think that was really fantastic. And, you know, I, I would be hard pressed to find any times. I mean, the, these instances were so prevalent those last two years in Cleveland during the regular season and then his first year in LA of just taking plays off, not rotating. And no, he made himself really difficult to screen. If he got beat one-on-one, -on -one, it was not more than once or twice, I would say. And he still does a great job of not fouling. You know, he looked extremely energetic. And, you know, to be able to take four months off, we, we saw how much the break helped him just going into this season to begin with. And now to have another break, you know, he keeps himself in the best condition of maybe any player in the NBA. He has the most resources when you don't have access to team facilities. And yeah, he didn't have the greatest offensive game, but to do enough defensively, I, I thought was really impressive from him, particularly on a night when the Lakers did not shoot incredibly well through large swaths uh, of the game. Uh, I was really impressed uh, by what we saw from him. And we got asked on the NBA cast, what are some of the other takeaways that you have here? And honestly, another one of my biggest one is that like, I think Dion Waiters can actually help this LA Lakers team. Right. I, I would like to expand it to a couple of important members of the Lakers supporting cast outperforming my expectations. Waiters is an important one because this version of the Lakers needs a little bit more shot creation when LeBron's not on the floor without Rajon Rondo, without Avery Bradley, and just that's not really what Alex Caruso does particularly well. Waiters at one point, he was 4 of 4 on 2s and 0 for 4 on 3s, but he ended up with a totally respectable 11 points on 6 of 10 from the field, despite only making one of his 6 threes. But I would like to extend that to, I think the most important positive of their support players was Kyle Kuzma. This was maybe not his best performance as an overall like game because he's had some big scoring performances in the past, but this was the game that inspired the most confidence for me that he can be a fit with this iteration of the Lakers, that he can be a complimentary offensive player who's not going to force it too much and completely competent defensively. This was the first time like I've really seen that combination from Kuzma and and the Lakers don't need that 30-point-a-game score. They don't need—that's like th just not the role that Kuzma has when you have LeBron James. 
games, but he looked better than I ever expected on Kawhi. Yeah, no, he did a good job. He he really he followed Kawhi a couple of times, but he really contested that short mid-ranger, made Kawhi really extend his arms uh, to get that off, uh, and force misses, stayed in front of him pretty well. That was impressive. Now, Kuzma is not really an impactful help defender, uh, but yeah, I mean, to put him out there, because that was the thought, right? Like, all right, against this team, if you want to go with AD at the five and LeBron at the four, well, can you really play Kuzma? Who does he guard? Can he guard Paul George or Kawhi Leonard? And, you know, coming off of screens on George maybe not as much but guarding Kawhi I thought it looked really really good you're right about that and while Kuzma tried a number of one-on-one attacks that really went absolutely nowhere as particularly in the second quarter uh or particularly in the third quarter I should say uh when he was out there without LeBron you know so I thought he was as a creator he doesn't do that much he had a couple of nice passes the weak side but the four of seven from three um it was an interesting pattern he hit his first missed his next three and then made his next three after that to get to that four of seven and even got to the foul line which he doesn't do too much of so yeah i mean this is a really good game for me much more so i mean you remember i think it was the might have been the christmas game where kuzma shot the crap out of it and you know that seemed like an aberration this seemed potentially more sustainable and getting back to waiters yeah, you know, is he going to shoot four or four on twos against most teams? No, the Clippers did not have much room protection in there. Harold didn't play. Lou Williams didn't play. Zubac was getting back from COVID-19 as well. Marcus Morris looked really slow uh, coming back from his absence. Um, so they had, uh, you know, I, I, I'm more encouraged by some of the guys in the Lakers than discouraged by the Clippers here. But Waiters, to me, he just looked good. He looked fast. He was attacking. He was driving and kicking. And, you know, he made some mistakes defensively, including helping off a strong side corner and giving up a three and leaving Landry Shamit a few times where they didn't end up paying for that because Shamit really struggled tonight but just physically I mean that was the problem with Waiters right is that he had this foot issue and he didn't know if his career was gonna be the same and then he was out of shape and he had some groin issues and no he looked like a guy who is ready to contribute physically to this team and I think you know he played a much better game than you would have expected from Rondo and he was uh, 11 points plus 17 two assists so it really looked good out there well and that included that surprisingly nimble spin move which delighted both of us that was just oh not- yeah yeah. Not something that Waiters pulls out of the bag. Pulls out of the bag that often. And in certain lineups, I, I think it's, you could run into the circumstances where he's not bringing as much to the table. But another thing that we saw a little bit from Waiters in this game that could be potentially important down the line is he's a more capable switch defender than a lot of the other Lakers guards because Waiters is strong. He is physically strong. Remember, going back to those OKC teams that, that Waiters was on, he can defend guys who are taller than he is because he's because he they can't back him down as well. And not every lineup the Lakers throw out there is going to be switchy, but there are certain iterations that I think it could work reasonably well. And staying on the line of switchy, I, I thought that something we ended up focusing on with the NBA cast for good reason was this question late in the game, we got to see what I think you and I both think, not against every opponent, but against plenty of them, is is arguably the Clippers' best five. And that is Jermichael Green at center, Marcus Morris nominally at the four, Kawhi at the three, Paul George at the two, and I believe it was Patrick Beverly at the one. You could go in different different. Yeah, we, we didn't see much Beverly with him returning from No, the, he was rusty. Like He had a yeah. couple of bad fouls. But yeah. it got into... But, but, but yeah, it'd be Beverly, it could be Shannon, some guard. Some guard. Uh, with those Probably uh, not Reggie guys. Jackson. <laughs> yeah, but, but the idea being that you get spacing at the five for PG and Kawhi to go to work is the theory of that group offensively. Th- that is, but 
something you brought up going going way back to like 2015 is that part of what make those Warriors death lineups special is that they were able to get some floor spacing at the five, but also have a really talented help defender rim protector in Draymond Green and the Clippers don't have that guy. Jermichael Green can defend a little bit but he's not really that intimidating at the rim and Paul George and Kawhi wonderful defenders in their own right but they're not that kind of guy and so this isn't Giannis at the five or Draymond at the five. It's yeah. a And it's you a don't even have a, a Kevin Durant type either frankly right? as, a, as a help defender. Yeah so that, so that made it harder for them to grab rebounds. It meant that they had less deterrence at the rim and that's not the reason why LeBron James got his own miss when there were four Clippers there. There were a couple other reasons for that, but it didn't help. And the the kind of the killer app that made the Warriors special was that they had this lineup where they had intelligent, capable defenders and had enough floor spacing. And so they were small in height, but they still still were a very good defensive lineup. And the Clippers have a lot of strengths there, but the, especially against the Lakers, and you, we can see this against the Bucks too, that lineup is just, it's, it might not be able to withstand the attack that those teams can put at them. Well, and I think that this is interesting too, because early on, this is an audition for some different groups with no Lou Williams, with Beverly Limited coming back from his personal absence, uh, with Montrose Harrell and his personal absence not available. So they really, you know, they tried Joakim Noah. That that didn't work out. He's, he's not good enough offensively to really play against the best teams. Their offense was really pretty rough when he was out there. But, you know, this is a group that we thought could work well. And granted, you know, this is a great team in the Lakers. And those guys haven't played together. They haven't really figured out the help responsibilities uh, that well. And, you know, still Kawhi, I think, is kind of working back into it a little bit more slowly. He's had, had a rough scrimmage season as well. So, but this is the chance. To see that. This is also a chance for Landry Shamit, who'd kind of been on the fringes of the rotation with everyone healthy to make an impression. I mean, between Reggie Jackson, Shamit, Jamichael Green, I mean, those guys are kind of, this is their chance to prove that they belong. And I think that especially the shooting that Shamit and Green provide relative to their positions could make them a good fit among the Clippers' best guys. But you'd imagine that, you know, they really need to show out here uh, in the early going to make Doc Rivers think twice about going with Lou Williams, for example, at the end of games when it really gets down to the nitty gritty in a tough series in the playoff. Since you brought it up, I looked it up. The Clippers had a 68 offensive rating in Noah's minutes. The next lowest offensive rating for a Clipper was 88 for Zubats, and he only played 15 minutes. So the, I mean, we're seeing, and, and this was true in both games, actually of the first night of games that non-threats you know non-threatening offense players whether it's perimeter guys who can't shoot threes or centers who can't really do much of anything without the ball in their hands that opponents know how to defend that better now than ever before and like we saw Dwight Howard we saw JaVale at different moments in time just use the lack of threat that that Noah provides to gum up the works and it's a reminder that the best of the best have coaching they and we're going to get you know and they have intelligent defenders and I'm not necessarily saying that like JaVale McGee is that all the time but you can exploit specific flaws and I think that offensive zeros or offensive negatives are a very prevalent one and we focus a lot on you know limited defenders like that came up in the chat of like well can Landry Shamit he'll get picked on but it's like offensive zeros I think in, in many ways are more destructive because that allows the defense to supercharge on everyone else yeah you can't help someone who's not being guarded the way you can help a guy who might have his guy blowing by him uh, on defense Uh, that's a great point here so uh, 
before we, I want to talk a little bit more about this game but I also want to talk to you about Sports Business Classroom where I will be an instructor once again this year Larry Kuhn and I developed the curriculum for it way back in the summer of 2016 and Larry is the headmaster once again the cap father we if you want to hear more about the program Larry came on last week and we talked about it pretty extensively Wes Wilcox is also going to be involved he's going to be heading the scouting and analytics program there and we're going virtual this year obviously we have to with COVID-19 but it's still going to be a really worthwhile program it's going to be at a price point that is more accessible perhaps than the in-person where we have limited space and you'll also get priority registration going forward for the next time we're able to do it in person and I mean there's just going to be all kinds of NBA luminaries there it's put on by Warren Legere you know him as the famous agent and the guy who runs the Vegas Summer League it's just a great chance to jumpstart your career you know a lot of people who are past participants Liam Doyle who became our director of insight and foresight now works for the Miami Heat uh, Ben Dull our director of basketball research uh, he's uh, one of my students at sports business classroom Amber Nichols uh, who now works for the Capital City Go-Go as assistant GM she w- went to sports business classroom uh, as well although she was so good she probably didn't need our, our help at all there so it's a great opportunity for you I, I highly encourage you to take a look at sportsbusinessclassroom.com and if you do register please Please let them know that you came from us. So I got a few other interesting notes here. Uh, on I, this. I have there, a place. Were there I any want... other big themes you wanted to hit before we did get to that? I don't, I don't know that I would call. Well, actually, okay, we'll do a big theme first. I mean, so you look at the shot charts in this game, and it's something that's really striking is the Lakers one of ten for mid range. They ended up getting all the way up to eleven of thirty six on threes. That's about thirty one percent because they hit a couple late. But how they were able to get enough offense was getting to the basket, getting to the free throw line. Seventeen of twenty. 26 in the restricted area and then 28 of 37 on free throws they had a pretty uh, in the first the first quarter i think there were five or six different clippers that had two fouls each that was, it was they committed 13 fouls in the first quarter yeah 13 fouls in the first quarter and and the lakers really kind of held that margin Dave, anthony davis that was why he was so efficient 16 of 17 from the line and some of that was you know Foul, preventable fouls. Patrick Beverly had a three-shot foul. There were a couple of those that were, you know, and some, you know, quirky roughing, let's call it that. But the Lakers are going to, especially when the when the Clippers only played Zubats for 15 minutes and they don't, ha- like, they're, they're going to be generating shots around the basket, especially in transition. So, I, I mean, the Clippers are going to have to do, I mean, the, the, a better job defending that. The Lakers are going to do damage there no matter how you do. But I think that it was, it was a reminder that the Lakers might be able to to do that well enough that the Clippers can't fully take it away. Well, it's so interesting that we're first mentioning the two best players in this game. Now, Anthony Davis was wonderful and Anthony Slater, uh, who is now doing some Lakers coverage for The Athletic, he's talked a lot about how AD is really probably the most unsung superstar in the league. I mean, yeah, there was the drama about getting him to LA, but on the court, you you just don't notice him. It's free throws. I think he only had one dunk today, Uh, but yeah, 34 points uh, and he did it on 27 shooting possessions did have more turnovers than he usually does but you know his transition game is always really good and then Paul George the other guy we haven't mentioned yet either he did miss that winning shot with great defense from LeBron but 30 points 6 of 11 from 3 and he he was telling people watch out because 
I feel the way I did when I was back in Oklahoma City before those shoulder surgeries. And he said he hadn't felt like himself early in the year. Remember, he had dealt with that hamstring issue as well and the two shoulder surgeries. So yeah, he looked like the same guy we saw who was an MVP candidate uh, in that 18-19 season, the first half of the year in OKC. So that's a great sign for the Clippers. And I think ultimately for LA, my other takeaway is just a lot of minutes from guys who just aren't going to be playing if and when these teams match up in the playoffs. You know, Patrick Patterson, Shamit, 22 minutes, probably isn't going to play that much. Beverly, 16 minutes, he's going to play a lot more. Jermichael Green, 29 minutes, he probably won't play as much. I thought he played well, to to be clear. Uh, Reggie Jackson, 34 minutes, 10 shots. You know, he's Reggie will probably play 10 minutes a game at most, you would think. So uh, Marcus Morris really, really looked rusty. I thought of, of everybody who'd had these myriad absences on the on the Clippers he looked the most rusty particularly defensively um so I don't take a ton away from here and even Kawhi you know he did struggle a little bit more than usual to create shots in an ISO but he still had a very statistically efficient game with 28 points on 7 to 16 and 11 to 13 for the foul line and they they were plus 16 in his 33 minutes right I mean and that's that's another thing too like the Lakers bench actually won this game and Harold and Lou I'm a little lower on them than some but they still make an excellent bench combination when LeBron is out of the game and Lou Williams isn't going to get hunted so uh yeah I mean the Lakers I think they had a lot of things go right other than the three-point shooting which was in the Clippers favor at 44 percent but and also interesting the Clippers got up 36 threes they've been taking a lot more threes in the exhibition games so some encouraging signs here from the Lakers but the, the Clippers absolutely no reason to panic they haven't had their group together they're missing key people pieces uh you know they got two weeks here to get it together um and you know if they got to play the Mavericks in the first round that's going to be a real series we'll see who they their matchup ends up being um well, anything it, else you got on this one? I got a couple other small notes I, I have a couple of bi- a big picture things the Lakers functionally lock up the number one seed in the west with this they are now six and a half up on the Clippers with seven to play and there's the Lakers are still far enough away from the Bucks two back in the loss column three back in the win and the home court doesn't really matter so I think they'll and and remember, they're, they'll be pushing a little bit more in the first round, obviously way more than the Bucks because the bottom of the East is terrible. But I wouldn't be surprised to see the Lakers have gotten more up for this game than their next couple. Maybe they'll take it a little bit easier, at least the Stars. And then the Clippers, they have some work to do. They're now one game ahead of the Nuggets. They're now two games ahead of the Jazz, who won. We'll talk about that game shortly. And so I'm not particularly concerned about the Clippers falling, but the margin for is getting a little bit thinner and they have some capable games against capable opponents you know they don't have really as many against the world beaters but still need to take business take care of business against new orleans and dallas and all that just to to stay on the two line though i'm sure you'll bring up you'll think about this that depending on how this breaks you could make an argument that it would be better for the clippers to be the three than the two but we don't know when they'll know that yeah that's a great point and because there's no home court in that second round and we'll see who uh, the matchup ends up being uh you know i think if dallas is staying in the seven yeah i might might want to get out of the the two seed frankly i mean they're not going to fall i suppose it's possible they could fall to four that would be a disaster obviously but um you know they're, they're going to take care of business they have one of the easier schedules i think they'll be fine they just need to get a, a few wins here in denver who's their closest competition you know they've struggled almost as much as the clippers have with the various absences so uh i'm not that worry about the Clippers right now a few other things though I mean the Clippers just you could tell they didn't have the cohesion a couple of examples after Clippers free throws Ugh. the Lakers pushed the ball up for fast breaks and they didn't know who they had I mean that was that was pretty ugly uh 
I thought that Alex Caruso found some more ways to contribute in the second half, but the Clippers seemed pretty locked in on what he does. You know, the, one of the big stats going around is how good that Caruso and LeBron units have been, plus 20 per 100 possessions. And, you know, Caruso, they left him wide open. I think he was 0 for 3 on jumpers. And then they also took advantage of his help instincts, where even one pass away, he's kind of, he really likes to sit in there at the nail. And he's a very good help defender. But there were a few times where they would just throw, especially if Caruso was guarding like a Jermichael Green, where at late clock, they would just throw it to Jermichael Green, one pass away from the top to the wing, and he would just shoot over Caruso and get a three because Caruso was leaving him open a little bit too much to help. So Caruso makes some help plays. He always does. Uh, well, and, but I thought and, the Clippers were pretty dialed in on him. Yeah, I thought the I thought the Clippers' game plan, you know, the comfort of, of, of familiarity with him was was present. But Caruso also those help instincts were really important on a late play when Shamit had a drive. Caruso realized he only had one pass, got out there, got the deflection, the steal, which ended up being an incredibly Im- important change of possession. Uh, something I wanted to mention, uh, I, and this is just how the circumstances are with Patch Beverly missing time. Reggie Jackson has a place on the Clippers, but that place to me is not alongside Paul George and Kawhi Leonard because he's not a reliable shooter. And when the ball is in Reggie Jackson's hands, the offense just doesn't flow quite in the same way. He also has some inconsistencies defensively, though he did show more bounce at, at one moment. I, I, I think he can actually be a reliable, like, open shooter. Yeah. But you'd certainly rather have Beverly in that spot, Yeah, you'd rather yeah, have... Which I think is kind of the point you're starting it, to It is. And so... I I think that Doc Rivers, you know, this is something that has come up a little bit with us when we've talked about it, but also when I did the I did a Real J Radio with Matt Moore is Doc has a lot of options and he's a, he's a, a talented coach and he's going to have to put the right players in the right places. And with Reggie, it wasn't a tactical mistake. It was he is the healthy point guard, the capable point guard right now. But it was a reminder of the Clippers needing to put guys in the right spots and and have to, and have to do that. But also, like I mean, yeah, you, you brought up that I think this was more positive for the the Lakers than negative for the Clippers, and their stars had some real bright moments. I the, the Clippers did, and I think that's that's important moving forward. I also think there were moments where we saw Zubats actually being impactful around the rim. There was one play where he hel- he helped on Anthony Davis and got you know got a contest and they got a rebound. And I think they drove all, they they got a transition opportunity off of it. And again, there will be opportunities where they probably won't want to play a traditional center, but having Zubats, having Montrez Harrell will give them options eventually. You know, Zubats on that that alley-oop, he reminded me of me (laughs) trying to go for my age 40 dunk. Like the the way that he caught the ball, like just on his fingertips, arms fully extended, he ended up missing the dunk. And uh, it took me a couple of attempts before I was able to get that that age 40 dunk in. But uh, I, I recognized it very well because that's how I was holding the ball, like just on my fingertips, like not in my palm, like I mean, a power dunk. It just like, just give me another couple inches. I really need this. But, you know, obviously Zubac, he, he said he was struggling with COVID-19 and it, it had some shortness of breath. And so it was just good for these Clippers guys to get out there, work the way into shape nobody got hurt in this game um oh i want to i want to say one other thing so there is a group of teams where the immediate matters a lot and we'll get into the next game pretty i think there'll be a a logical transition but remember that a theoretical western conference finals between these two teams which both of us feel at the moment is the most likely outcome in the west 
that's a month and a half away. And I'm sure there will be some hand wringing in corners of basketballdom about the Clippers. You know, they they made they had some very kind of silly mistakes, and there were some some cohesion stuff that you could tell that was present with the, some cohesion issues that were present with them that were not with the Lakers. But a month and a half is a lot of time to settle that, to have the players who aren't quite right get right, and there will be challenges between now and then. But it's different than the Jazz, and the Pelicans, the other two teams, where how they play right now matters a whole hell. A lot. It matters for seeding. It, their their window to be impactful is, is is a lot shorter. So the Clippers they have time to sort this out. Maybe less than they would have been another thing because it feels like the seeding games are going to go so quickly. It's going to be a blur over the next couple of weeks. But then the real challenge for them is still another month away after that, probably. Yeah, no, you, you make a good point there. And my last point in this game is, you know, LeBron, this is three underwhelming performances out of four against this team. Now, he did do some late, and he again beat Marcus Morris a, a couple of times, which that matchup was one that LeBron exploited at the end of their March matchup as well. So he seems to have pretty good confidence attacking straight off the dribble against Morris. And we mentioned it that the Clippers are not a team that has a ton of help at the rim once you beat the first line of defense. But, you know, he really wasn't able to get the jump shot going that well. You know, seven assists, five turnovers, like that's not the sort of ratio you're looking for. He had a few plays where he tried to attack and transition and like George took a charge on him, another play where he just lost it. Um, So, I mean, he's always in control of the game. But what I really would like to see more from him, particularly against this team, is getting down into the post. And we only saw that a couple of times, particularly because they closed this game with AD at center, which is the, the lineup that we really like to see. Um, that's what I think I would like to see because the numbers, as everyone knows, are just absolutely crazy with LeBron in the post this year. They score like 1.3 points per possession whenever he posts up or something completely ridiculous like that. Uh, according to Second Spectrum, I think Zach Lowe quoted that uh, on his podcast. So that to be, if he's, if it's going to be LeBron dancing around at the top, killing clock, getting into a step back, you know, as we've said many times, that's not that great. Getting into the post, the quick attacks. I really like the way he attacked very quickly against the Clippers switching defense. As soon as the guy switched on him, you go right away. While the guy is still not sure whether he's switching onto you or not, you just go. Uh, that's a, a great way to approach things. So he had a couple of moments of success, but overall it was not a, an amazing game. And, you know, the Clippers might have an AD problem. That's something to, to consider as well. He might be the one matchup that they're really pretty much always in a physical disadvantage against him with a lot of their groups. So that, yeah. that's something to keep an eye on with these guys uh, as well. Also something to keep an eye on is us tomorrow, 2.30 Eastern, Nets, Magic, the us. battle for the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. But really, you should watch it because number one, I'm sure you would love to have some alternate commentating options here. And this is the NBA trying this out to see whether it can work or not. And we, I think, are the first people who are ever going to be doing this. Uh, And it's going to be really awesome if you've the NBA cast wasn't for you because it's just too hard to sync up. It's all going to be in one window. You're going to get the sound of the game as well. It's going to be a full broadcast. And uh, if you can't check it out because you live in New York or something, tomorrow is blacked out. Watch our next game, which will be at 8. Eastern on Monday, Spurs against Sixers. That'll be fun to watch those young Spurs guys too. They've kind of Murray, White, Kelton Johnson. Even I, I, I implore you, even if you think these teams aren't interesting, I promise you, you're going to learn a lot about these teams uh, from our broadcast. Uh, as we are, we I always learn so much from these broadcasts as well. When you're you're never as locked in as when you're actually doing the game, so it's a great chance. Um, all right, let's take a quick break, and we'll get to Utah New Orleans. Another great game, by the way. 
All right, Utah and New Orleans. It was a 106-104 win for the Utah Jazz. Both of these teams really, really needed this one. The Jazz come away with it. They now should be in pretty good position to avoid that seventh seed and potentially the LA Clippers. Brandon Ingram rimmed out a three-pointer that would have won it. They ran a nice little play at the end to try and get Redick open. Great job by the Jazz switching that. And Ingram, I thought, got a pretty good look for a three going to his right. It's definitely the right call to take a three when you can get a decent look down two at the end of the game. And New Orleans was really in control. They only put up 17 points in the fourth. And that was ultimately what sunk them. Um, They only got 15 minutes from Zion Williamson. He basically was only able to play three, four minutes a quarter at the very beginning. It was kind of right back to where he was when he first returned. He had had that personal absence for eight days where he really said he wasn't able to engage in hardly any basketball activities. So hopefully he'll ramp up. But I mean, I think where we should start here, Danny, is just what the effect of this game was on the standings normally you know it feels like the beginning of the season but this is one of eight games and these teams are really bunched up here so you know just a few minutes ago we were talking about how the lakers and clippers they have time to sort this out the clippers have times to get their to get their guys right physically and to figure out some of this cohesion stuff the pelicans don't really i mean they're, they're a team that we're excited to watch the rest of us and there were certainly some positive signs to take but this is an eight game sample and they have to get they have to outperform these other teams that they're in the in the battle with in order to even get an opportunity and even though it was close and you know that it was a, a missed Brandon Ingram three-pointer or you could point to any number of other things in this game away it does make it does make things harder I would say the biggest winners are the Kings and the Blazers as they try to be into ninth particularly remember the Blazers do have the tenths of percentage point tiebreaker over the Kings and the Pels so just by virtue of having played another couple of games and the Pels do have a pretty easy schedule but if the Pels had won this one they would have really been in good shape and Utah too you know they they could have maybe fallen down into the seventh seed they looked pretty demoralized in that first half as they trailed by as many as 18 at one point it was 60 to 42 and they were able to battle back pretty well and so they're probably going to avoid that dreaded seventh seed now and all they can hope for is just not matching up against houston <laughs> again as well if they cannot be seven and not have to play houston i'm sure they will be absolutely ecstatic but now yeah they might even potentially threaten the nuggets for the third seed as well but yeah i mean we we may be remembering that Brandon Ingram shot that rimmed out. Um, but let's talk more about uh, the actual. I have, I have, a, I have a stat I want to start with here. Oh yeah. When Rudy Gobert was on the floor, New Orleans scored 87 points per 100 possessions. When Rudy Gobert was off the floor, their offensive rating went from 87 to 141. Oh boy. And I thought Gobert made a huge difference as a deterrent. I, I mean, there was a play I talked about this on the live show where Drew Holiday was scared of was scared of Rudy Gobert and passed out of a layup, even though Rudy Gobert wasn't there. He was he was guarding Derek Favors in a slightly different part. I think he was just aware that that Gobert could be there. And this was the you know there were the closest thing to a defensive player of the year kind of performance from Gobert. Unfortunately for him, it doesn't count for the voting. And it's, but it I thought that he was really impactful in in his minutes and that you know you could see that in the Pelicans being 15 of 30 in the restricted area and I think a fair portion of that 30 occurred in the Tony Bradley minutes not that Bradley was bad but he's not Rudy Gobert yeah and particularly when the Pels made their big run in end of the first quarter beginning of the second Bradley was other he he and Niang were not able to keep guys out of the paint here's another stat for you two point percentage Utah 58 percent Pelicans 
46% from two. And despite miserable eight of 34 three-point shooting that surely had Jazz fans flashing back to their series against Houston the last couple of years with no Bogdanovich, uh, the Jazz were able to overcome that in the end. Everyone was crapping on Jordan Clarkson in the first half. He was out there. It seemed like he was shooting them out of it. But again, you know, they don't have amazing perimeter talent here to create shots when, you know, he's usually out there when Mitchell is not out there. Um, and Clarkson really came through to end up as uh, the Jazz leading scorer with 23 points on 8 of 17. He, he was important, as particularly early in the fourth quarter as the Jazz uh, were able to claw back. So, well, you know, he's going to run hot and cold. That's the point of him on this team. Um, you know, I think one thing that really concerned me a lot is the guy Clarkson played more minutes but the other guy who played because Bogdanovich wasn't there was Emmanuel Moutier and oh man was Emmanuel Moutier really rough negative nine in 10 minutes he just twice didn't know who he had when he came in the game and gave up three pointers uh no sorry one was a three-pointer to Redick and the other one was a Josh Hart fast break layup where he just had no idea who he was guarding so that, that was a big lot of the trouble and you know they might have looked a little bit better too if George Yang had been able to hit a shot he was 0 for 6 himself so the Jets really struggled to score and uh, but they just scrapped and clawed. It was really a defensive victory in the in the end for them. Both teams right around a point per possession uh, in both of these games, actually, which is a, a little bit lower. But, well, you know, the three-point shooting, if the Jazz have more of a normal three-point shooting night, the, I think their offensive game would have been fine. And you could feel the paint start to constrict around them towards the end of that second quarter. And then they finally hit a couple at the start of the third, and they're able to get going a little more. Something else that struck me during that late stretch in the game was that when New Orleans doesn't have Zion Williamson, teams going small at the three, or however you want to classify terms, doesn't matter nearly as much because they don't have that other player who can really threaten. Now, J.J. Redick, Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, all capable players, but they're not punishing small lineups. And so, you know, you could think about the Energizer Bunny lineup that the that OKC can throw out there. I mean, I guess I'm using the term which was originally about the Mavericks, but like the three the three guard lineup that could end up being viable against an iteration of the Pelicans. Like there are a couple of those because they don't have a, a really bruising player, and that gets into somebody else I want to talk about. I will give Ingram plenty of time because I, w- I want to talk about what he did, but. I was I really liked Royce O'Neal's game overall. He was aggr- early on. He was aggressive shooting three pointers. He also had a wonderful rebounding game. But then later on, he had the primary assignment a lot of the time on Brendan Ingram, and he didn't do a perfect job. But I thought he did enough there to slow down New Orleans's offense. And so Royce O'Neal doesn't have to hit home runs every time. If he hits doubles, I think that helps the Jazz a lot. Yeah, Ingram twenty three points seven out of twenty. I thought O'Neal was outstanding as a rebounder. Yes, in the fourth quarter, particularly just flying in. You know he's usually guarding a guy in the corner and to really fly in get those rebounds on the weak side I, I thought was big this is actually a game that saw a lot of offensive rebounding um and you'll see that when uh Tony Bradley is out there for the Jazz going against Jackson Hayes um and Hayes is a good offensive rebounder in his own right as well he had five offensive rebounds um but yeah I, I thought that O'Neal was was really good defensively uh you mentioned Gobert's uh, fantastic impact I think a, another thing that stuck out to me a lot was Lonzo Ball's game I thought he really struggled offensively he had four points on two of 13 and 0 for 2 from the line and it wasn't really the three-point shooting he was 0 for 4 but to me while I respect him trying to get more aggressive 
in pick and roll and more aggressive as a finisher he actually like drew a, a foul attempt in transition like really trying to go through someone with his strength he's just not good at that yet i mean it's really he doesn't really have much from the mid-range game he doesn't have a great feel for finishing around the room he doesn't have a great floater game and you know he's kind of he'll get into these spaces and he's trying to shoot like his normal jump shot on a layup and you know it really looks rough for him and you had that stat that we talked about where they're just so much better when he passes the ball out of pick and roll but utah does a great job of making the guards uh, attack and so you know i thought lonzo was they put the ball in his hands and pick and roll a little bit more than i would have preferred i would have liked them to go to drew holiday who i thought was looking pretty good against smaller players um and maybe ingram a little bit more rather than lonzo because it was other than in transition is a real struggle for him tonight speaking of real struggles Donovan Mitchell had a rough go of it when Drew Holiday was the guy on him. I thought that Quinn yeah. Snyder did did some nice tricks to get other matchups, and and that though that was part of what got by Conley going is that Conley didn't have to deal with Drew Holiday's suffocating defense a lot of the time. Mitchell still ended up with twenty points on. 17 shooting possessions, 6 of 14 from the field, 6 of 7 from the line. And there will be times when, I mean, there aren't that many Drew Holidays in the world, but there will be times when Mitchell isn't doing great, but they still have to lean on him heavily, especially with Bogdanovich not there, just because they don't have that many other creators. Conley, I, I thought Conley had some moments. He Overall, I think Conley looked better than I anticipated, which was a very positive sign for the Utah Jazz. But I, I think Drew Holiday, like his ability to short circuit perimeter attacks is part of what makes him one of the best guards at that in the league. And he, he, there were some plays where he just like ripped Utah guys, just ripped them to pieces. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just you can't screen the guy. And if you do screen him, he's going to take the right angle every time. Like he'll just he knows when to go under and he can get back to the guy before he can get a shot off. His feet are so quick. Like you'll see him close out on a guy and the guy's like, oh, I got him off balance. I can drive by him. And all of a sudden they're just getting cut off at the baseline again. And he's so and then once he cuts you off, he's able to get those hands in there without fouling. Um, He is really off the ball you he could be had a little bit more if he's guarding an off ball guy uh but uh, like a shooter coming off of screens or something but yeah I, I thought Mitchell when he tried to go at him he had no chance you mentioned there are a few things that they did to get Drew off of Mitchell you know I thought they could have done more of that and in the end you know you look at Mitchell's stat line plus 7 20 points 6 of 14 like hey not bad but it really there are just so many times especially in the second quarter when he's just trying to go at Drew Holiday and getting nothing and then they just end up at the end of the possession with nowhere to go and so you know the Jazz they're all about running a lot of stuff they run the most pick and rolls of anybody in the league but it's always the center setting it's Rudy Gobert he leads the NBA in screen assists blah blah and that's because he also sets by far the most screens in the NBA not that he isn't a good role man as well but I think that especially in a playoff setting because we saw Eric Gordon shut down Mitchell too I don't think Mitchell quite has the juice in pick and roll to beat the best guard defenders and he just doesn't quite have enough burst off the dribble he's going to settle for mid-rangers so I think they really need to look into doing more early in possessions to have smaller guys screening for him that every once in a while they do that like they had Conley and Gobert set a double screen off the dribble where he's able to get a three-pointer early in the first quarter as Lonzo ball switched onto him so those type of actions is just something to throw in early in a possession even as part of your secondary break i think 
you know, that's not something that Utah's offense really does naturally, but I think that could help free Mitchell against these best guys because he's not quite at that level where you're just like line him up, knock him down, pick and roll with him and Gobert against Drew Holiday guarding him. He's not going to have success that way, I don't think. I thought about it a fair amount before the seeding games returned, but it was brought in, into pretty stark relief for me that Utah has a five-man starting lineup that I like. You know, the Ingles has a place in there. He's not Bogdanovich, but I think he can fit well. Royce O'Neal had a good game. And what concerns me is I'm not comfortable with basically any other five-man lineup that they could put out there. And Niang, yeah, he'll, he'll have some spots. Tony Bradley, you know, he's been better this year than we expected. We talked about that in the Young Men's Scouting Report. And Corkson has his place. But they just don't have a lot of other ways to go. And I thought that yeah. that could have been their undoing in this one. Remember, they out the starters outplayed New Orleans pretty handily in this, even though, you know, Zion Williamson had 13 points in 15 minutes. Though he gave up some of that on the defensive end as well. But they... If anybody gets hurt, heaven forbid, or like you know, yeah. get get foul trouble or anything like that, the jet, like, or if we get into a playoff series, yeah, sure. If they can, as much as they can play those five guys together, they're great. But yeah, I mean, it's it's like Jawan Morgan or Rajon Tucker time. If any of these nine guys that they play got hurt, and as we mentioned, Moutier really strong. I mean, I think Moutier and Yang and Bradley, those guys can play a little better, and their their bench unit was playing better. But they also had Ingles playing with that bench unit at, at times, and you know, I don't know how many more minutes they want to have him playing. I mean, all all of their starters played at least 32 minutes in this one we should talk a little bit about jj reddick i mean there were some moments where he looked absolutely great out there he actually did more with the ball in his hands than i expected at a couple had a couple nice passes and his jump shot looks as good as ever and not a perfect player you know they'll still get attacked defensively but i think that alvin gentry's instinct needs to be to go smaller rather than bigger when zion's not on the floor because his smalls are better than his bigs and another massive concern for me in this game maybe the biggest concern for me with the pelicans entirely not zion only playing in these short bursts not playing at the end of the game which i'm sure will get more ink but Derek favors just looked a little flat to me and yeah he did um and they're gonna need him like they're gonna need him like tomorrow yeah i I agree with you he didn't look quite as spry as you might have hoped and we'll see how this team looks once zion can get back to his normal minutes i mean the games are coming fast and furious here of course i mean the they play again what on saturday already they play saturday and then memphis on monday drew holiday versus john morant i'm gonna be like i know i know zion and john are gonna be the headliners that game oh dude i I can't wait for all the games tomorrow uh this is is gonna be fun yeah but so i mean new orleans there's they still have absolutely have the capacity to get to worth to exactly the place that they wanted to go to be the to be fighting with memphis or whoever to get into the playoffs and face the lakers but the road got harder and for utah it got easier and dallas you know that's it now it's a team that's harder for them to jump if they want to get out of the seven which we know they do and it's weird i mean we we this will be a, a running theme for us over these next two weeks which is you always want to take the long view you and i are try to be good about that and think about how this is going but there are only eight games you know each team is only playing eight games and there's already a lot that's kind of closer to settled so these games matter a ton and we're going to start i love it i love it i'm like i'm excited and you don't have hardly at least in the beginning not hardly any bad teams involved too i I really like it um so i mean i I do have a couple other notes here absolutely unless unless you uh yeah so i thought jackson hayes looked better you know we didn't see and especially when he gets put in pick and roll a lot by this team we didn't see some of the mistakes that you'll see where you know particularly among the cardinal sin for bigs is young bigs as they get too high up on the floor and either the guy the guard can go by them or 
where they give up the alley-oop to the big you know I thought he looked a little bit better um still could get, get a defensive rebound but you know he looked like he wasn't killing him out there he was actually plus seven and granted he's going against that Utah bench that isn't that great um I don't really understand what the point is of playing Melly you know he would come in for Zion he played 14 minutes he's 0 for 1 was plus eight but he and somehow had three steals I don't even remember but I don't think he did much uh to merit being out there so why not go Ingram at the four or even Josh Hart at the four instead of him I mean I think between Hart and JJ Redick and Etuan Moore those guys are just better players than Melly and it's not like anybody other than Redick was close to the most number of minutes that they could play so I I don't really see the point of, of playing Melly the whole idea of him is he and Zion play together in the front court and he would space the floor on him. but especially against the Jazz if you've got a center out there in favors already like they're playing Royce O'Neal at the four like you don't need more size in theory with Melly so I I don't really understand that you know Gentry's still kind of playing a few too many guys off the bench maybe that goes back to his Phoenix days but that's when he actually had really good players uh, off the bench you know Frank Jackson four minutes is kind of a why um Etuan Moore played really well he could have played more than 14 minutes uh, you would think so um a little bit of rotation roulette there we'll see how that changes uh, once Williams and it gets back you know they are still gonna probably I mean, he's still probably gonna be on minutes limit for the next couple of games and although i did think that zion looks more cut which is good to see um it's gonna take him a while to get in to it he also really just did and you could tell he was winded too even after his little three or four minute burst and the defense from zion really not good as well we've talked about how he just hasn't shown the same effort as he showed at duke so that th- those are all a little concerning and you know we'll see what happens i mean the pels they got to win a couple of these games here pretty quick uh you know they have an easy schedule going down the stretch and i'm sure we all would like to see them at least get into the play and but this was not an amazing start for them it looked like they were killing at first and they just couldn't sustain it yeah i mean it was that early stretch when utah looked good and then the pelicans had a sustained run but then they weren't weren't able to hold it and yeah each game matters that makes this weekend extremely exciting but it also makes it very important for all these teams it warmed my heart that the first play of the restart was the Derrigger post up for the defensive center who you're throwing a bone to and Rudy Gobert actually scored on it yeah. against a good defender Ru- in Ru- favors. Rudy Gobert starting scoring the first points and then functionally I think it might have been the actual last points of this game that that did feel like thematically appropriate considering everything on what feels yeah. like a we, lifetime we didn't even enough. mention Gobert's two huge free throws yeah that where uh they got a nice drive dropped it off to him favors got him on the arm he hit two ice free throws uh, to tie it. it was really a fun game down the end and I mean it's just it's so good to be back man i really like it's uh, i realize we have big problems in, it, in our world and uh, this is a distraction but and you can't just like have the weight of your, the world on your shoulders all the time like we we aren't built that way like we need to we need to care a lot about stuff that doesn't matter on occasion uh and uh it felt good to do that today and at least get get a little bit of a distraction well, and spe- uh, speaking of that yeah watch magic nets on friday <laughs> yeah and also we're gonna have episodes definitely friday night maybe even saturday night uh because we we've only this is only our second episode this week we're gonna get back to the usual schedule sunday through thursday night but hey we got games let's talk about it. what else are we doing right so uh we'll talk to you all tomorrow night and hopefully during magic nets at 2 30 eastern tomorrow till then